Hello, Lab Mates, and welcome to the STEM Lab Podcast, where we highlight women in STEM, that is, science, technology, engineering, and math, especially women of color. I am your host, Dr. Sabrina Walthall, and I'm here today with Letitia McMullen Ward, a mechanical engineer currently working as the planning and CBM team leader for Georgia Power. Letitia received her Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering and her Master of Science in Engineering Construction Management. Letitia has had an engineering career that has been multifaceted, beginning with U.S. Steel, then leading to her own company, McMullen LLC, to her roles at Alabama and now Georgia Power. Letitia, it is so great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you for inviting me. I'm elated to join you today. Yeah, so for my lab base, I want them to know, I know a lot of fly women, dope women in STEM, and Letitia happens to be one of them. We actually met at Alabama School of Math and Science. So as I always say, I've been a nerd all of my life, and I enjoy being in that space because I meet people like her. I wanted to um, Thank you so much for accepting the invitation, uh, for coming to the STEM Lab podcast and telling us all about the life of a woman engineer. I think sometimes that we don't really think about the space that women hold in this field. And then just talking to you, I know that you have uh, told me that it's not a field that women matriculate to. So going uh, with that thought, I invited you because I really wanted to talk to you so that you could inspire some of our young women who listen about becoming an engineer. So what we do here is start out in a segment called Her Career and just talk to you a bit about your career. I see you started out uh, as a project engineer at United States Steel, and that was before you graduated. Was that an internship for you? It was an internship, Sabrina. I um, onboarded with U.S. Steel in my, I guess it would have been the end of my sophomore year of college at UAB, and it was an invitation. I'd had a conversation with someone, and they thought that, hey, I could use some experience, and it was a predominantly male environment, and it was an opportunity. It was a win-win situation. It was an opportunity for me to get some engineering co-op internship time under my belt, as well as for them to have some diversity in the office. Aside from that, um, me taking on the internship was kind of a hybrid thing for them. It started out they had co-ops which were on rotation. Mm-hmm. At the period of time that we developed the relationship, it was a better opportunity for me to be an intern because of where I was in my coursework, along with the um, ability and the proximity to where I lived, it made it very easy for me to travel there on a daily basis. In being an engineer intern, is this something that you are pushed to do in the discipline, or was this something that you decided on your own to do? Well, at the time, it was not. I was a transfer. I transferred to UAB my sophomore year. I attended Mercer University my freshman year. And so having transitioned to UAB, I had not exactly got into the pipeline and understood all of the opportunities through the academic advising at the time and how important co-op and, and internships were. But because of relationships I had with others, I started to realize this was something I needed to do. And that was in the late mid to late 90s. 
I would say now in current times it is almost absolutely necessary for a young engineer or aspiring engineer to develop a relationship through a co-op or an internship program as soon as possible. It doesn't even hurt if a student is a high school student to get into an explorer program or shadowing program during the summer so that they could have exposure to engineering opportunities. Engineering is such a vast and fluid environment, um, the more exposure, the better. So I would say that it is almost imperative that there is some experience in that arena. I am so glad to hear you say that uh, for the parents and students that might be listening uh, to really have an internship when you are in engineering is something that is a must. Can you, just for our listeners, repeat that again of ways that they might get into an internship? So if you are a college student, it is really important to get involved in organizations early on, as soon as you register. If you're an engineer, especially for minorities, when I say minorities, I'm speaking of both women and African Americans or any minority for that matter. But NSBE, the National Mm -hmm. Society of Black Engineers, is a great avenue to develop relationships and identify co-op and intern opportunities. SWE is also the Society of Women Engineers. It's another avenue to um, integrate yourself into the co-op and and also the internship relationships. But even further, once you have progressed in your college education and are ready to enter the job market, those organizations or organizations such as SWE and NSBE will prepare you for interview skills and help you to develop networking and provide you with opportunities to um, be re- heavily recruited upon graduation. But I'm going to take a step back for a minute, Sabrina, and speak to our high school students. So from a high school perspective, if you're a high school student, make sure that you reach out to your guidance counselor. Make sure they understand your desires. Because much like you'll hear later in my interview, I changed my mind many a times and came back to engineering. And there's reasons why. And it's okay to be that way. It's okay to do that. It's okay if you change your mind and decide to not be an engineer. But the one thing you don't want to do is to start to work and change your mind. So make sure you reach out to your counselors if you're a high school student. Make sure they understand your desires and perhaps they can help you identify shadowing opportunities or opportunities in the summer to work with an organization that has an engineering group. So make sure, whether it's at the high school level or the college level, that you make sure that you have conversations and make really good use of the counseling and academic advising offices. Wow, thank you for that. I mean, those are gems. Nesby, I really thank you for shouting out the National Society of Black Engineers having friends in that sphere, I do know that that is one of the ways that they were able to push their career forward. And SWE forgot that you were also a MRSA bear. We work with them with the young girls in STEM. And so they definitely are very instrumental in helping women move forward. So that's the Society of Women Engineers. And for parents who are listening, who may have younger students, younger than high school, there is also Nesby Jr., there are programs throughout the country that then will allow a younger student to also begin to see what engineering looks like. And most of the time that may start with robotics, but still it's a way to get your child interested in a lucrative career field. Thank you so much for those gems, Letitia. Moving on from you 
during this internship and graduating in 2000, um, I see around 2005 that you had formed your own LLC as a construction program manager. So how did we move from U.S. Steel to this stage in your career? So uh, upon graduating from college, I was awarded a full-time position at U.S. Steel and worked there comfortably for several years. I was one of... Uh, I was the only female in a group of about 20 male engineers. Wow. And I I loved the opportunity. It was a great foundation. But one of the things that I was challenged with was having a female mentor or a female engineer to look forward to working with. Okay. And uh, that created some opportunities for me. And as I started to really embrace who I was in my career and what my aspirations were, I realized that I wanted to try something different. And so I developed a relationship with a small firm that was working on, as a minority participant on a very large project in the city of Birmingham, okay. building education facilities. And so I decided to join that firm, and after about a year, um, our relationship took a turn, and it was a amicable relationship, but I decided to start my own LLC and to work as a minority participant. And so part of your question was, Sabrina, if I understood correctly, is what made me want to start an LLC. So I didn't immediately do that after leaving U.S. Steel. But okay. about a year later, I joined a larger firm who had a minority participation clause in their contract. If I was a part of their staff, they were majority owned. So that was not minority participation for them. Hear me out. That was not minority participation for them. Minority okay. participation meant employing the services of a minority-owned company. Mm. And so here I was. I was doing something that I enjoyed for the last year. It was a beautiful thing for me because I loved my job as a construction manager. And I also loved the ability to build a school, build a facility, and after it was done, it was almost a monument that I could go back to. It was something concrete, and I could go back one day and say, I remember when that stone was laid. I remember this part of the building. Right. And so that was another good thing, one thing I enjoyed about it. But even so, with seeing the kids go back into the facilities, and for one year I was there during a warranty period, so I get to see the kids, so I felt like, hey, I got about three, 400 kids. And so I had grown up in a school system that was in a lower-income neighborhood. The facilities weren't that mm -hmm. great. None of them were rebuilt while I was a student. Um, even when I was at ASMS with you, and you will remember this, we were in an older building that was still under construction. Yeah, it was a hard hat for the first year, right? But um, so I was able to afford a bunch of kids an opportunity to be in a facility that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So it was very fulfilling for me. So I decided I can't allow this to be a reason to walk away from what I enjoy doing. So that's when I started the LLC. And I continued in the construction arena for almost 10 years. But I will add that during that time when I first took that leap of faith and left the steel industry to go to construction, mm -hmm. I was a mechanical engineer and I could do the job, but there were some things I didn't necessarily know about construction. And also, I did not know that there was a building science degree. I had never heard of it. Auburn University was known for it. Clemson University were known for building science programs or construction science programs. Can Are I it, stop you right quick? Because you, you mentioned something and none of us know <laughs> what it is. Okay. 
So when you talk about building science, you are literally telling me that there is, because it is, I'm sure, a science mm -hmm. to building buildings, and that is a major, and not many colleges have that major. Right. Wow. So for our listeners and parents who are out there trying to think about where they're going to direct their kids, I heard you mention a few colleges that's in our southern region. Can you just mention that one more time for me? Because I think it's really important. And what I love is that this is something that I don't know. And I'm a okay. faculty member. So when I started working in construction, I was kind of heavy on the mechanical engineering side. And I worked for an owner that was educators. And so I oversaw engineers, architects, general contractors. And I kind of did a lot of the mechanical stuff. But my peers, a lot of them were Auburn University grads, and they had degrees in building science. And so Sabrina asked me about building science. What is that? Building science is a science that is about the construction of buildings. And it can be vertical construction, which is a building, or it could be horizontal construction, which are your highways. But usually that's civil engineering. So it's more actual buildings. But the, the degrees are offered. I know Auburn University has a program. Clemson University has a program. And it's starting to, now that you have a lot more Internet-based programs, there's other programs coming up. But I received my degree. I was in the first graduating class where there was a Master's of Engineering Construction Management from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Go Blazers. Um, Go Blazers. I was in their first graduating class. So... The way that happened is I started working in construction. I wanted to know and be a little more, have more depth of knowledge about what it was I was doing day to day. And so I knew how to manage people. I understood the mechanical side, some of the civil side, but I didn't necessarily know. I could not speak intimately the language of buildings and the materials associated with it. So I went to UAB and got a Master's of Engineering and Construction Management. First, I got a certificate because all they had was a certificate program, and then the program became a full two-year program where I was able to attain a master's degree. And so I used that degree to continue um, my work as a program manager for a larger company as a consulting program manager. And so mm -hmm. I did that for approximately 10 years, and that led me to the next change in my career. And basically, I'll share with you all, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about my journey, but that was one of the most difficult decisions I had to make. Keep in mind, there are challenges around being a independent consultant or a small business owner. And so the combination of those things, the work was very fruitful. It was lucrative. It was enjoyable. I loved my job. But one of the challenges was I was going to be required to relocate. And at the time, my work-life balance would not allow me to do that. And so I was married. My husband worked for a corporate organization. He was not as flexible with moving at the time. And so I decided to, it was time for me to pursue a corporate job because I was not able to relocate. And that's when I onboarded with an electric utility in Alabama. So I joined Alabama Power after construction, and as I mentioned, it was going from a job where I was an independent consultant and kind of had a lot of flexibility to a more structured environment. But it was a it was a transition uh, personally, but professionally also. So 
So I went into the corporate arena, and it was a little bit different than most people perceive about an electric utility because most people are familiar with the big buildings, the corporate office, um, the people that wear suits and ties and dresses every day, and that was not where I went. I went to a power facility. I went to a production facility, electric generating facility. Most of them, most people know them as usually steam plants. So basically I wear a hard hat and steel toe boots every day. And I will say when I was in college, I didn't ever think that I would be in a hard hat and steel toe boots every day. And when I started working for U.S. Steel as an intern, I thought, oh, this will be two years of this, and then all of a sudden I'll be in a suit, right? Well, that didn't mm-hmm. happen. And here I am some 20, almost 25 years later, and I still wear a hard hat and steel toe boots every day. And that's okay. And I will say to anybody who's listening that it is okay that you can still remain very feminine and wear a hard hat and steel toe boots. You can still have pretty hair. You can still have pretty nails. You can have a jamming closet full of really nice clothes for when you're off work, if you so choose to. I still like my jeans and tennis shoes, but some people don't. But those things are still available to you. So don't be deterred because there is a hard hat and steel toe boots. We still get things done. I will say that making the transition from Alabama to Georgia was an opportunity for me to develop new relationships and to broaden my horizon. The electric utility, as most of you probably know, maybe on a topical level, that it is very dynamic. We are in a time of importance around research and development. I'm not in research or development but I am on the end, on the receiving end of the decisions that are made and what the end result is. So government and environment environmentalists have decided that we, and it is the right decision to make, that we have to be good stewards of our environment. And so there are some changes around electric utilities, so it's very dynamic. And that's one of the things that we are doing is being a good steward to our environment. So steam-generating plants are probably becoming less prominent, and we are starting to look at renewables. So we're looking at hydro, we're looking at wind power, we're looking at solar power, and then there's battery storage. So there's research and development in that arena. I am still working in the steam-generating facility, but my move to Georgia was an opportunity for me to understand the leadership part of it, to understand that regardless of what it is that we are doing or what the resources are that we're using to make power, that it is important to understand the leadership perspective and to understand the end result and our commitment to our customers, our ratepayers, to understand the dynamic of that. One of the things about the facilities that I work at is that it carries the name of Georgia Power, but it is owned by multiple other states, companies in other states, and we just operate it in the state of Georgia. So that's, I won't get into the details of that because it's a whole lot, but I will say that my move here was to better understand some of the background and to develop me as a leader. Also, it was an opportunity for me to get to know other people outside of where I built my foundation in the company. So that goes back to, and earlier in the conversation, we talked about relationships, and those relationships you build through internships and co-ops. So 
So I was a mid-career hire. I didn't have that part with this company. So in an effort to fill that gap, this move was necessitated. Yes, it was a lateral move, and I'm happy to share that part of it because that's part of the decisions you have to make when you are in a corporate environment. Sometimes you have to make some sacrifices or compromises in order to reach an end goal. So for me, taking a lateral move and moving to Georgia to develop relationships in a company that's built on relationships was a decision I had to make. Letitia, you have just really dropped some gems, and I don't think our younger listeners might understand it, but I know our older older listeners will. And uh, the theme that I've heard throughout you talking to us is about building relationships and just how important building those relationships are. And then how um, the sacrifice sometime that you may have to make in building those relationships, uh, as you say, strategically making a lateral move, knowing it was all because of what else you could gain by doing it. And I think that's something really important for our listeners to understand and take in, that when we're women in STEM, these are the type of thought processes that we have to go through in order to uh, be able to see ourselves moving in our career. Um, One of the stories you shared with me was just about networking and how uh, you see that scene based upon your personal personality. And so if you could, because I'm quite sure there is some young woman in STEM who has the same uh, personality as you, talk a little bit about how you have been able to navigate or what you've seen uh, for yourself based upon your personal uh, way you maneuver how to network. So I'll say... It is a work in progress for me. I am a natural introvert, and so I consider myself in rehab maybe. It is is taxing for me. I'm exhausted when I get home after a day of networking. But I've realized that this is necessary. And so there's a lot of things, and please make sure that when you have the opportunities and as you're co-oping and even for the mid-career hires, Make sure you identify and develop relationships with people. Pay a close attention to those people who do it well. And so that was one of the things early in my career I thought, I'm a hard worker, I'm smart, and I am generally politically correct, so I should do well in my career. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't necessarily getting me as far as I thought I would have been. And I realized it was because I didn't have another component, and that was the networking and facial recognition and name recognition. People might have heard my name, but it was almost gray because it's like, I've heard your name, but I'm not, I can't really put a face with that person. And it was because the social settings and the networking settings I wasn't involved in. So what I have consciously been intentional about is making sure that I'm involved and things at work that give me exposure. So I'm I'm not a golfer. I'm not a big sports fan, but I've started to watch sports so I could have the conversation around sports. And as far as social, I'm not the most social person outside of work, but I will say that when there are opportunities, whether it's through organizations within the company, whether there's stretch assignments, 
there's developmental opportunities, there's meetings. In my environment, we have safety meetings, we have general assembly meetings where you talk to the masses. Take advantage of those opportunities. That's where I use my time to network. I also, again, go back to seeing who does it well. I make sure that I know who does it well, and when I'm out, I'll have a conversation with that person. And a lot of times it makes it easier because they'll say, hey, Sabrina, do you know Letitia? Let me introduce you to Letitia. And that's the first step. And then next time you'll know two people in the room. And then the next time you'll know three, so, so forth and so on. Also, one of the things, surprisingly, that I found, it is much easier for me right now in this virtual world because now there's a lot of Zoom and Teams calls and Skype calls, and I thought, right. oh, my gosh. But it, it, believe it or not, it is so much better for me because I can have the conversations, and then usually there's a time constraint, and I'm developing relationships with people who I thought I would not otherwise develop relationships with. But I know after these 15 minutes, that call is done. Mm-hmm. And then we can reach out to each other again later. But it is important to have relationships. And also, I will say that when you develop the relationships, make sure that it is not one-sided. Make sure that you can give as much as you're receiving. Perhaps the person is in a higher position, but that does not mean that there isn't something you can't give. So make sure that there's a not just a pull, it has to be a push and a pull. Make sure that you reach out to them, that you have conversations with them about things other than just what you need from them. I've made sure that I've reached out to those people who I've started to develop relationships to see how they're managing right now in this environment of COVID, to see how they're working, if they're still going to the office every day, just the small things, but to make sure that people they will always remember how you made them feel. And networking is the same way. People will remember that impression that you make on them is going to be about how you make them feel. So uh, one of the things you said is that you have to give as much as you receive. And I think people don't think about that in a mentoring relationship that you're also wanting to uh, offer the mentor something as well and not just take all the time, all of their time uh, in efforts that they're given and not try and give anything back to them. So I'm glad you said that. So that's very important for our listeners to hear. As I was listening to Sabrina, I had one other thought I would like to share. Mm -hmm. So I did say that when I started my career, I was one female in a group of 20 males. My second job, I was, there was three females and I think about 16 males. So I've always been in an environment where it's predominantly male. And the environment I'm in now is no different. And so you think, okay, well, they will always remember you. You were the only lady in the room. Or they will always remember you because you were the only African-American and lady in the room. And that's not true. So don't take that for granted either. And early in my career, I took that for granted because if somebody said the name Letitia, Letitia was the only lady who's in that group and they'll remember her. But guess what? They identified a lot of times, especially early in my career, they identified me as a clerical person. So they couldn't have been talking about Letitia, the engineer. The woman in the room was administrative. So in all areas of STEM, 
this happen. It does. And so that's why it's important that we are sure to define who we are. Don't allow somebody else to define who you are. Nobody can be you better than you. And so you're your best advocate. And so I may be getting ahead of myself, but I'll share that that is one of the most important things I've learned over the course of my career is that nobody can speak louder for me than I can for myself. And that doesn't mean I have to be the loudest person in the room. But whatever in my mind is what I need to do, I feel like I have to elevate it a little bit more. Because I'll go back to, for years, people thought that the woman in the room was an administrative person, and they were taking the notes, and they were the one who was going to keep all the notes when really I would have been facilitating it. And I just kind of thought, hey, that's just the way it is. They'll remember. And then as I progressed in my career, I realized that though it was important for me to make it known tactfully who I was, what my purpose was, and what I was doing. I'm facilitating this meeting. I'm not the administrative person. I don't mind taking the notes. But at the end of the day, I am the person who is facilitating the meeting, and so we will govern ourselves accordingly. And it's okay, it's okay for you to challenge me and have a question and attitude, but when we walk away from this room, we're going to know who the project manager was. We're going to know who the facilitator was. And so it's important, regardless of whether you're an introvert or not, to not be great, not fade into the background. Make sure they know exactly who you are putting a pin in that point. Uh, And I like your term, don't be gray. Uh, Don't just fade into the background, whether you are introvert or extrovert, but make sure that, you know, you are heard. And that is very important, especially for women, because you pointed out you're the only woman in the room, the only minority, and yet you still can be forgotten. And you would think in that space, hey, the, the women I remember, there was only three of them, but more than likely they're not so that's really important you've really given us so much to think about in terms of a career in engineering and some of the challenges that you have faced in going through that pathway uh so now i want to move us to our second segment which is really your journey uh i'm not really sure how a young lady comes to the decision that she's gonna be an engineer or that she would like to be an engineer. Uh, In my head, it's always that you've done something throughout your childhood, uh, working with hands-on with maybe a male and decided. So if you would share with us, you know, your journey through this STEM career, how to join the STEM pipeline and persist in it to get to the career that you have today. So I was thinking about when did I decide I wanted to pursue a STEM career. I'm still not sure about that. <laughs> I'm still not sure what I decided that. But I will say I realized I must have been, I guess it was third or fourth grade when multiplication was being introduced. I can remember that one of the most challenging things for me was to remember what six times six was. And I can remember feeling stumped by that. And then next, it was 12 by 12, 12 times 12. It stumped me. So every night, I would close my eyes and say my times tables, and I would not stop. And because I was challenged by mathematics at such a young age, 
I was always a kid that did not want to be defeated. And so I kind of clean. I started to cling to math. And then by the time I got to high school and I went to the Alabama School of Math and Science where I met you, math had become a whole other animal because it was I was being introduced to different types of math, trigonometry and calculus and things that I wasn't familiar with, advanced types of math. And so they were challenging for me. But one thing I did find is early on I realized that I was a person, things were always black or white for me. And so I didn't really realize that it was, I like to be objective. I didn't like subjective things. Hmm. And math provided me with that. Science kind of provided me with that. But definitely math. No matter where you go, two plus two is always four. Hmm. So early on, I didn't quite know what it was, but I liked objective things. And then eventually I learned that it was analytical. I was very analytical. And so, you know, you start getting all these personality profiles and different things in high school. The latter parts of high school helped you identify your career. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so every time I take one of those questionnaires and it start telling me about what I was good at, it always led to analytics. And so I think that's how I ended up with a career in engineering, aside from the fact that I thought I wanted to be maybe a doctor. And at the time, in the mid-90s, one of the best ways to get into medical school was to have an engineering degree. There is a pretty high percentage of acceptance into medical schools for engineers. Wow. Especially chemical engineers. So I didn't want to pursue chemical engineering. And I went to Mercer and I studied biomedical engineering. And I thought, if I don't get into medical school, I can always make prosthetics or orthotics. Yeah, now I knew that. Long story short, I took that first job, and I got a paycheck, and the desire to go to medical school out of the window. But I still stayed in the STEM arena. And as the years have progressed, I can remember getting my first floppy disk. And most people who are under the sound of our voices probably don't know what that is. I remember getting my first floppy disk in like maybe the first or second grade and thinking computers were it. And so they were challenging for me when I got to college. I had to write programming, and that was challenging for me. So I have always been a person, and I think STEM has always challenged me. Um, It still challenges me. Technology challenges me. Math and science still challenge me. So... I have a desire to um, master those things that challenge me most. So that's, I think, how I ended up here where I am. But I love that you're saying that it challenges you and you continuously take on that challenge. Uh, You know, you usually go away from it. You seem to be saying that you tend to run to it. I I do. I have always been one to run to things that um, challenge me. And I still do that. Now, I will say that as I've gotten older, it's kind of slowed down. I have a little less desire to do that. And I have taken on some different thoughts around what challenges me now. I think it's important to keep me fresh personally. If there's something, if it's always the same thing, then it doesn't keep me fresh. So when there's a new dynamic, it helps me to get those chemicals flowing, that adrenaline flowing, and it helps 
to make me a happier person. And I will say that in the environment I'm in now, it's so fluid. Things change so fast, and perhaps I don't use engineering very often anymore. It's more components of dealing with people. I still have the dynamic and very fluid environment that allows me to be challenged continuously. So it's something different every day. And that was one of the things that early on I decided I did not want to be a design engineer because it was different every day. And so I guess, you know, how do you get a person that is very objective and likes to have a fluid environment? Well, that's me. Um, it's not that there aren't right answers. It's just it's evolving. And so you get what's right for that time, and then it changes. Moving on from there into high school, and I know we went to ASMS together, and <clears throat> I know we had a lot of opportunities there in the summertime. But before you got to ASMS, were you on a STEM pathway? Were you doing any summer programs at that time that were allowing you to be exposed to STEM careers? I was. So I mentioned early on that it's important that you have really good contact with your guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate that I had a pretty good relationship with the counselor at the high school that I attended prior to ASMS. But I, there was a program through the National Institute of Health that allowed students to spend their summers with different companies or universities. And the program that I was involved in was directly involved with UAB. And so I had some exposure there. I worked in a lab. And so that was one of the things. And then it wasn't as developed or as prominent as it is now with shadowing, but I had some individuals that took personal interest in my desires, and so I would get to go into offices and sit down and see what people did through their daily activities. And now there's a whole lot of formal programs out there. Um, all you have to do is right there at the end of your fingertips. We did not have the Internet then. Remember, I did talk about floppy disks. We didn't have the Internet, so <laughs> we had limited access to those things. It was really about who you knew and what you knew and how to get there. So I probably didn't engage in as many of those things as may have been available, but I did have some opportunities prior to ASMS to be exposed to STEM programs. And at the time, I don't even know that STEM, do you remember Sabrina? I don't remember STEM really being an acronym back then. It wasn't. Uh, and they had the gifted program, I guess, and they kind of geared students towards math and science, right? physical sciences, but there really wasn't a quote-unquote STEM. There were some health-related professions, and I guess they were starting to migrate into STEM and away from vocational programs. But I did. I was pretty fortunate in that I did have some exposure. Our labs were not as elaborate as those at ASMS, so our teachers, thank God for them, I had a great biology teacher who improvised, and she created a desire in me to know more as well. For our listeners, I just want to say, Letitia and I continuously talk about ASMS. And for us, that's Alabama School of Mathematics and Science. And that's where we both attended because we were the best and brightest, supposedly, in Alabama. <laughs> and that we were sent to this 
public boarding school in Mobile, Alabama uh, to help us. I'll tell you why I chose it because I got more credits in math and science. When I said I was a nerd all the way back then, I, I was. And so I wanted more credits and, you know, it allowed those students to really be put in the STEM pipeline. Unlike Letitia, my background did not have me uh, knowing how to talk to the counselor about my pursuits. And so I did not go in and find out any information. Uh, what happened for me is that ASMS actually came to the school and the principal let them speak to the top 10 students. And I just happened to be in that number. And I happened to be the only one that pursued it afterwards. Because to me, it was like um, the golden ticket. Like, what is that? Willy Wonka. So I felt like I had got the golden ticket and I was going to get out of Dodge because I was ready to go. And so when you hear us talk about that, that's uh, what's the STEM school, what it would be considered now for us. And that's Alabama School of Math and Science. So Tisha, talking about um, your opportunities that you took advantage of. If you had done any of the uh, internships before U.S. Steel, and were you, uh, did you join any of the programs like NSBE while you were in college? Yes, sir. I was a member of both NSBE and SWE in college. I was not as active in hindsight as I should have been, mm -hmm. uh, but I was a member of both SWE and NSBE. So I just wanted to give uh, parents who are listening an idea of if you are even remotely interested in a STEM career, or especially one in engineering, characteristics might they look for? So I think it's important for a student to be self-aware and understand what makes them work or what drives them. So mm -hmm. if it's mathematics or science, perhaps an engineering curriculum is one for you. It doesn't mean that if you enjoy the liberal arts that engineering is not for you. I think it's also important to take some of the foundational courses early on in college. I have encountered people who are exceptional engineers, exceptional, who did not start out that way. Um, they started out in math or they started out, I even have one or two acquaintances that started out in like liberal arts, like English. But I think it's important to also know whether or not um, you want what you want to be exposed to to understand if you have a desire to be a design engineer or if you want to just be a person that understands engineering concepts and works in a broader environment so i would say that's why it's really important early on to get your feet wet and get exposure to engineering curriculum i will even step out of my comfort zone of talking about the engineering environment and talk about stem as a whole if you have a desire as a young student or an aspiring STEM professional, please align yourself and find somebody. There are plenty of people out there. I am one of those people. So if you're under the sound of my voice and you're looking for somebody to talk to outside of this program and somebody to assist you, uh, I'm more than happy to do that. But I will say that it is important that you um, Make sure that you find somebody that's doing those things and find out early if that's really something for you. It is a commitment. I spent a lot of time in engineering school. 
um, it was a commitment for me. I changed my major a couple of times, and I think I mentioned that early on. Uh, I thought at one time, you know what, this is much more than I signed up for, and I changed my major to um, nursing, and I think that might have lasted about a semester. And I, that's why I hesitated in saying nursing, because it's kind of a medical profession. And then I stepped back into engineering. But just make sure that you have identified somebody who works in the STEM profession and can help you assist and decide if that's really something you want to do, because it is a commitment. I'm glad that you pointed out the fact that you did change your major a couple of times. Uh, and I think it's important for students to know that we just didn't wake up and say, yes, I'm going to be an engineer and everything went down this yellow brick road, but there, you know, there's our hills and mountains, valleys, <laughs> underbrush that we have to go through to actually uh, persist in STEM in that pipeline that we talk about all the time. You know, the pipeline has a lot of different offshoots. It can lead back to the same path, and I think you mentioned that, you know, all roads always lead back to engineering, but you have to go off on those tangents sometimes just so that you can figure out, no, this is where I really need to be. Is there anything else that you would like to tell a, a young person about persisting in the STEM pipeline? Say if we had a high school student that was listening to the sound of your voice and thinking that, oh, when I go to college, that's what I wanna do. Or a college student even who's in their sophomore year and still trying to figure out are they going to declare that major? So what I'd say to someone who's pursuing an engineering degree is if, it is, if the end goal is to be an engineer for the sake of the anticipated income or the prestige of being an engineer, if that's your drive, then maybe you should explore other things. But if it's truly to do the work of an engineer, and I'm not necessarily saying a design engineer, but to embrace the curriculum and be able to apply it over the course of your career, then I would say for sure continue to pursue that passion. There are so many avenues to doing the same things that engineers do. I think I mentioned when I talked about my stint in the construction environment, I was one of two engineers in our group. Everybody else had building science degrees or degrees in, well, the other gentleman, he was a civil engineer. Everybody else had building science degrees or degrees in something else. And so it is important that you realize that there are other STEM professions outside of engineering that work alongside engineers and do the same work. And you can choose to be technical or you can choose to be managerial. And so it's a very vast arena of things to do. So don't feel like because you pursue an engineering degree that you're going to be at a desk and you're going to have um, spend a lot of time at the desk and not in the field because that's not necessarily it. It's a very dynamic field. And it's kind of what you choose to do, uh, the environment you're in. I've been fortunate that every opportunity that I've had has allowed me multiple options. I could have been a design engineer 
or I could have decided to be a project manager, which is what I pursued most of the time. And most recently, I've decided I wanted to go through a managerial leadership path, but there are options there. But I just say to make sure you maintain communications with people who are doing what it is you think you want to do. Maybe not in the exact field, but people who are doing work so that you can see it firsthand. Well, Tisha, I want to move us into our third segment because you are dropping wisdom, so I might as well move us to it. And that's uh, her wisdom section. And that's where we ask you if you could talk to yourself at any age, period of time, along your career path. Based on everything that you know now, uh, is there something that you would say to yourself? As I look back over the course of my career, I believe that I would speak to my 30-year-old self, somewhere between 27 and 30. So at that point in my life, I was extremely happy in my career. I was getting my master's degree. I got married about that time. And I will say it is the time in my life where I had the best work-life balance. And so I haven't mentioned that, but I think that is extremely important, especially for our female listeners, regardless of what your age is. It's important to have a good work-life balance. That was one of the things that, aside from, that was one of the things I think if I'd had a female mentor early in my career, I would have better understood. That's why I think it's important that I share this today. At that point in my life, Again, I was involved in a lot of volunteer organization work as chair for the Junior League for a pretty large project. I was getting married. I was finishing graduate school, and I worked a full-time job, and that sounds like a whole lot, but I was very happy, and I made sure that each of those things had, I spent my respective amount of time and still had quality time for Letitia. That can't be taught. I'll repeat that. Nobody can teach you that. That's why it's important that you are self-aware and understand what is stressing you. And there was never a time in my life where I understood that better than those years, those three years of my life. Somehow I found the magic formula for a good work-life balance. So what would I say to myself then? What would I have said to myself then to keep my work-life balance? I would have said, girl, continue to do what you're doing. Be yourself. And at some point, I kind of lost myself in my job. I had desires to be in the C-suite. And in an effort to get there, I put a lot of things on hold. And so work became... A lot. I contributed a lot more to work than I did to my personal life, and a lot of things were focused on the professional part. Do I regret it? Absolutely not. Um, do I regret where I am? Absolutely not. And before talking with Sabrina um, on this talk today, I shared with her one of the mantras that I have is to bloom where you're planted. And so it was shortly after that period of a good work-life balance that I realized, hey, I'm probably working too much towards something that I don't know if I'll achieve or not. I'm leaving some things behind. Will I regret this later? 
And so that's when I started to decide that, hey, it's important right now in this moment where I am now to be the best at that, focus on that. Not what I want from 10 years from now, but what is best for me right now. And that's still a work in progress. It's some 14 years later, and I'm still working on that. I'm still working on making sure that I stop and smell the roses periodically. And so I think that, again, I would go back to that period and understand the work-life balance. And so I've kind of talked about me, but I will share with each of you under the sound of my voice, especially the younger ladies, is to enjoy yourselves. Um, have boundaries, but to enjoy the social aspects of life, to enjoy work, and to be able to leave work at work. And then when you go home, be with your families. And the other thing is to never allow anybody to define what a family is for you. So I was single for a large portion of my career, and then I was married, and I don't have children. And so it was easy for me to get enveloped in my work because when it was vacation time or when it was holidays, I was the person who did not have children. So I was the person who didn't have a family. So I could work. And I would accept the responsibility of working. And that's why I say it's important to make sure you define who you are, establish boundaries, and have a good work-life balance. Make sure you start to do that early on so that as you grow in your career and you choose to get married or choose to start having children, that you have carved out time to be there and available when the time comes. Well, I can tell you this has been a counseling session for myself, (laughs) developing a good work-life balance. That's the word, what we really end on, uh, I like you said, just stop and smell the roses, enjoy yourself, um, and establish some boundaries and have a good work-life balance. Being a woman in STEM, especially an African-American woman in STEM, uh, you definitely have to find that balance for yourself because we tend to overwork because we grow up under the mantra that you have to be better than the best. And so the only way we believe to show that is by working and working more than our colleagues. As she said, all of the ladies that are under her voice, young and old, hear that. Establish some boundaries and definitely stop and smell the roses. Well, Letitia, it has just been a great pleasure interviewing you and talking to you uh, about your career path. I know earlier you told us that if uh, any young lady wanted to talk to you about a career engineer, they could. So I just wanted to give you this opportunity to give any info on where they might be able to reach you. Yes, I'll be more than happy to share my contact information. So I am easily available at ly. 65 at bellsouth.net. That is one means of contacting me through email. And also I will share um, my LinkedIn profile is under Letitia Ward. That's L-E-T-I-T-I-A and the last name is W-A-R-D. And if you don't mind, if you decide to connect with me on LinkedIn, just drop me a message and let me know how we connected, and I'd be more than happy to continue the conversation with you. Thank you so much. And forever the professional, she gave you her LinkedIn. 
<laughs> so again, if you are looking for um, Mrs. Ward, you can find her uh, at Letitia Ward on LinkedIn. So I would encourage you, if you are thinking about a career in STEM, definitely a career in engineering and anything along the lines of construction and mechanical engineering, that you contact her and talk with her. As you see, she's a well has a wealth of information and would definitely be able to help any young lady on the path. Letitia, again, thank you so much. I am just uh, happy to know you, happy to have been able to talk to you and to see all the progression that you have taken in life. Um, I appreciate you for always supporting all the stuff I do in STEM. You always giving me uh, encouragement to keep going. So I truly thank you for it. And thank you for coming on to the STEM Lab podcast and sharing your story. I appreciate it, Sabrina. And I am so happy to take part in such a wonderful undertaking by you. I am not surprised at all. And I look to see the podcast community grow. Thank you. Loudmates, we have truly been blessed this episode with the knowledge and wisdom of Mrs. Letitia Ward. I know you heard me repeat it several times throughout the episode, but once again, Letitia charges us to have a successful career in STEM by first defining who you are, second, establishing boundaries, and third, defining good work-life balance. That there is the word. I am your host, Dr. Sabrina Walthall, and as always, I thank you so much for listening. Talk with you on the next episode. Bye.